we did these really rapid iterations of product market fit. And when you talk about challenges, I would say the biggest challenge for any deep tech startup like ours, where you have a very compelling technology vision, we have to be able to find the perfect product market fit. Otherwise, it's difficult to launch a successful business or not solving the right problems. And one thing that I actively worked on and I still work on to this day is making sure I'm really paying attention to what's going on in the industry. What are the experts telling me? Welcome to the Personalized Medicine Podcast. This is the place where scientists, clinicians, and entrepreneurs discuss the progress of this rapidly developing field. I am your host, Alexander Yahensky. Let's start. Three, two, one, and we are live. Welcome to the next episode of the Personalized Medicine Podcast. On this episode, we return to the topic of cell-based therapeutics and their role in personalized medicine. It is my pleasure to introduce to you Dr. Nabiha Saklain, the co-founder and CEO of Celino. Nabiha is a physicist by training. She completed her PhD at Harvard in laser physics. She is a recipient of several prestigious awards, including pioneer in MIT Tech Review's 35 Innovators Under 35 list for her patented inventions in cellular laser editing. She is also on the 2019 Forbes 30 Under 30 list for healthcare. Nabiha is a Howard Hughes Medical Institute International Fellow and was recently awarded as the first Tory Barge Foundation Fellow in Genomics at the Innovative Genomics Institute led by Nobel laureate Jennifer Dona. In 2017, she co-founded Celino, a company that merges stem cell biology, laser physics, and machine learning to make autologous stem cell therapies possible. Nabiha is also a co-host of a DNA Thai club on Clubhouse, which I personally like to tune in on Sundays to learn more about emerging biotech companies and founders that develop them. So make sure to check it out. Nabiha, thanks a lot for accepting my invitation and welcome on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for the discussion. Great. So let's start with your story. And you have such a fascinating uh, journey, and I would like to, to start with it. You moved a lot between very diverse countries as well as very diverse scientific areas. Can you tell our audience a bit about how those experiences got you to the place you are at today? A great place to start. I do think of myself as a nomad in many ways. So growing up, I was born in Saudi Arabia, grew up in Germany, went to high school in Sri Lanka. My dad was a foreign service officer for Bangladesh. So we ended up moving a lot, moving to different countries. And I was always in different cultures, having to adapt to new languages. So uh, we were speaking Bengali at home. I went to English schools my whole life. And when we moved to Germany, I learned how to speak German, which has been amazing. The story is really about always finding comfort and energy and motivation and inspiration at the interface and living at the interface. That's really how I see my life. I enjoy that and I thrive when I'm at the interface of different cultures and different disciplines. That's, that's definitely a huge part of it. And uh, the, 
so Lino happened at the towards the end of my PhD at Harvard. I was in the physics program, and I really wanted to develop physics-based tools to engineer new solutions in biology. That was my focus. And a lot of people might wonder, oh, what's a physicist doing in biology? It's, it's, not, it's not that uncommon for a lot of physicists, mathematicians, engineers to really fall in love with the complexities in biology and be motivated to think of new solutions. So that was my journey. So when I arrived at Harvard, I decided, okay, I would love to be a part of this movement. And for my PhD, thank you for that wonderful and kind introduction, by the way. <laughs> so for my PhD, I had the opportunity to invent new laser-based methods of editing cells and specifically around delivering cargoes into cells like gene editing tools, DNA. As I'm sure you know very well, and a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, are very familiar delivering cargoes into cells while keeping them alive is quite a big challenge. and what I was able to understand is that using lasers to do that with high precision was a powerful way to engineer cells. So that was very exciting. And what I love about my trajectory and where I've grown the most is having the opportunity to work with world-class leaders across all disciplines. So when I was in the physics world, I collaborated with incredible physicists. And then I also have a strong background in nanofabrication and nanomaterials. So that was an amazing learning experience. But really engaging with pioneering biologists all across Harvard's campus in the Harvard Stencil Institute, Harvard Medical School, the biology department. It was a it was a an eye-opening, life-changing experience to hear from biologists how excited they were to develop new ways of engineering cells, and they thought lasers were a very powerful way and encouraged me to pursue that further. So that's a little bit of my story and background, and the themes are all around convergence. It's a lot about bringing different disciplines together, bringing different types of people together, different worldviews together, because I think when you're at the convergence of different domains and disciplines and life experiences, life experiences, that's when you have the most interesting and innovative inventions coming to life. And that's been my story so far. Love it. Yeah, this life on the on the interface. I think it's such a great point. And uh, we all can learn the most from very diverse situations and settings. So when we are exposed to those diverse experiences, this is often when, when the most amazing things uh, are coming to fruition. So speaking about amazing things, can you tell us a little bit more about Celino? how it came about, and what were the main challenges of taking this ambitious startup off the ground? That's a great question. So to set the record straight, I never really imagined that I would be an entrepreneur. It wasn't a career pathway I'd considered for myself. I didn't grow up seeing any entrepreneurs in my family. And for me, I always wanted to be a physicist. So that, of course, means going to going and getting all of your education done in physics, getting your PhD. So I was very committed to that. And the last year of my PhD was very unexpected in many ways because what I started to hear from all of my biology collaborators was that there's a keen interest in the bio community and the greater bioengineering community to develop new tools to bring precision into biology. How do we make more precise 
edits to cells. And lasers are, as I mentioned, are a very powerful way to do that because you can target cells individually. You have single cell precision with lasers and you also have temporal control so you can time your editing on the cells. You could do it, you could edit the cell on the second, you could edit cells every hour, every six days. There's a lot of flexibility on about being able to do that in a temporally controlled way. So these concepts were brewing in my mind and all of my collaborators were super, super excited about the potential of using lasers to engineer cells because of that precise nature that lasers brought to the table. And that's when the entrepreneurial journey started for me because all of my collaborators were so excited and they uh, convinced me not to abandon my PhD research and abandon this idea of laser editing and move on to the next phase of my career. And they said, you should pursue commercialization. And at the time, I didn't really know what that meant. <laughs> so the first thing I did was uh, reach out to uh, advisors, professors in, in, in the Boston ecosystem who I admire and ask them, you know, well, what should I do? What are the next steps? And some things very, very, some things became very clear. I wanted to work with a team that I loved working with. So the way the founding team to get, came together was my co-founder, Marina Madrid. She's an applied physicist. She was my lab mate at the time. And we'd worked together for many years and built this incredible working relationship. So I pulled her aside one day and said, hey, everybody's suggesting I do a startup and explore this idea of laser editing for cells. Would you be interested? And she immediately said yes. And I'm so grateful to her for doing that because I might have backed out of this if I didn't have such a strong teammate who was super enthusiastic, super optimistic. And she said, you know, what do we have to lose? If it doesn't work out, we'll wrap it up and go on to our other careers options. Um, and then the other thing that really played out well for us was having a, a co-founder, a third co-founder who is experienced. And that was another piece that was very clear to me. Given that this was Marina and my first time being an entrepreneur, we really wanted to work with somebody who's done this before. And in walks Matthias Wagner. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's built several optical technology companies and run them also. And when we met, I imagined he would be an advisor to the startup. But at our second coffee, we just hit it off and decided to do this together. So Matthias started building laser prototypes in his garage. And I was doing hundreds of customer engagement interviews across Boston. You know, Boston's really nice as a community. It's very geographically dense. So I would do a few meetings in Harvard Square in the morning and then take the take the T down to MIT, do some more meetings and then go to Harvard Medical School in the afternoon. And it was just an incredible time. And we did these really rapid iterations of product market fit. And when you talk about challenges, I would say the biggest challenge for any deep tech startup like ours, where you have a very compelling technology vision we have to be able to find the perfect product market fit. Otherwise, it's difficult to launch a successful business. You're not solving the right problems. And one thing that I actively worked on, and I still work on to this day, is making sure I'm really paying attention to what's going on in the industry. What are the experts telling me? And I'll tell you one funny story. As we were, as I was doing all of these customer engagements, I have this incredible mentor, Bastiano Sana, who's the 
CEO of SEMA, which is now acquired by Vertex. So he's in the senior leadership team at Vertex. So I went to him and their company is a stem cell derived beta cell company. So was showing him the data that we had around laser-based delivery into cells, pattern delivery was all very cool and novel. And he asked me to be at, can you use the laser to remove cells that we don't want in the culture? And I looked at him and I said, yes, of course we can, but that's easy. Are you sure we need to do that? <laughs> and he said, yes, we absolutely need to do that. That's one of the things we're trying to figure out right now and looks like you can do it. So I walked out of that meeting and that was one of the first moments where it really hit me that it is so important to put your inventor bias aside, which a lot of scientists turn entrepreneurs fall into. It's like, I want to change my intellectual curiosity. I think this is cool. This is what I should pursue, but that's not what the market needs. That's not what customers need. So we pivoted and now we primarily only do laser-based removal of cells because that is one of the most critical steps of cell therapy manufacturing, removing the unwanted cells to produce the highest quality products. So product market fit is super, super important. And now that I've been through this journey over the past couple of years, I really prioritize that. And even when we're thinking of new product features, we're always making sure that they make sense for what, what the final deliverable is going to be for customers. And that's it's really all that matters. Um, and it's an incredible journey. We're on always evolving. And one of the other platform evolutions that we went through was thinking about automation. Originally, we had the laser editing platform. We could do many interesting things with the laser, but they were mostly manually driven by an operator. But as we were learning how complex cell therapy manufacturing is, my CTO co-founder, Matthias, he had the brilliant idea to automate everything with machine learning, which is the way it needs to be. Everything will have to be automated if we want to scale. So those kinds of learnings and those quick iterations of product market fit were super, super helpful. So if anybody's at that stage in their company right now, they're listening to this podcast where they have this cool technology, they have some ideas about applications. You know, make sure you're not falling into the trap of going with the application that you think is the most interesting because that might not be the one that's the most relevant to the industry. Great. Yeah, I can just second that. I think it's very easy to, to get caught in the technical details of your product, especially if you're building something in the deep tech. But ultimately, the market and the customer will decide if that brings uh, any value. And as soon as you can get that customer feedback, the better you will be off in the long term. What would be really interesting for our audience to hear is a little bit uh, more uh, on the technology that you are using. So you already mentioned that you are um, applying laser physics to eliminate cells uh, from, from the culture. Can you tell our audience what exactly is that you're doing? Why is that useful? And uh, what is unique about your tech? Yes, absolutely. I'd be happy to tell you more about um how the tech works. Just to recap, the problem we're trying to solve is really in how autologous iPSCs, stem cells, induced pluripotent stem cells in particular, and the derived cell therapy products are produced, which tends to be a lot of manual, labor-intensive, artisanal selection of cells by eye, picking and placing cells by hand, removing unwanted cells by hand. And that entire process makes cell therapies 
just economically unviable because it's costing on the order of a million dollars to produce certain clinical grade stem cells and stem cell derived products. So in order to scale that up, we really need to automate everything and we need machines to make cells and tissues in a reproducible, scalable way. And the Selino platform does exactly that. So the way it works is we take an image-driven approach to characterizing cells. So we've trained machine learning algorithms to look at images of cells, label free images, because staining is not always desirable in a clinical manufacturing process. So look at a label free image of a cell, let's say an iPSC, and determine is this a high quality cell or not. And once that determination has been made, if it's a low quality cell, one that we don't want, the laser comes in and edits and removes the cell. And it's a relatively simple mechanism. The way it works is the laser light shines on these proprietary well plates that Selino Selino produces, and the light is absorbed at the bottom of the well plate and generates a bubble. You make a large bubble, you kill the cell. And you can make multiple bubbles, you can make sequences of bubbles, but it's all very spatially targeted. So we do offer single cell resolution with the current systems that we have in-house, and that's extremely powerful. So if there are individual cells in your culture that you want to eliminate, you can target them with the laser, generate the cavitation bubble, and it'll kill and remove that cell instantaneously. So what's really exciting about what we're doing is bringing those two worlds together, the machine learning world and the laser editing single cell precision. When you build a closed loop system with these two components, that's when you can really take closed cassette manufacturing to a whole nother level. So what we do at Selino is we automate that entire process so that it's possible to run thousands of closed cassettes of patient-specific cells and tissues in the same facility without having to open them. That's where you get your massive cost reductions. And because we can use image-guided characterization throughout the process every day, multiple times a day, and then use laser editing to ensure that we're only letting the best cells move ahead in the process. It's really a laser pruning approach, if you want to think about it that way. So that's what makes this process truly scalable. And I'm sure you can already pick up in what I'm describing. The technology is so incredibly multidisciplinary. (laughs) So our, our team is split across many different tracks. So we have our stem cell biology track where we have very classically trained, experienced induced pluripotent stem cell biologists. And we have the hardware optics track, a lot of physicists, optical engineers, and we have a software team. So they're building the software infrastructure to run the automation in all of our hardware systems, but also the machine learning algorithms, training those machine learning algorithms. We take all the data, training data in-house. So making sure the infrastructure is set up for that. And then we have a growing business development product team and a lot of strategy that's going into how we think about the technology. So multidisciplinarity flows through our entire company all the way from our IP strategy to our commercialization, of course, the different products and the technology itself. Great. And uh, just curious, how easy or how difficult is it to manage this uh, multidisciplinary team and uh, kind of reach consensus maybe on some matters when it's not, not that simple? I love that question. Doing anything multidisciplinary is is not trivial because essentially what you're 
dealing with is everybody's speaking a different language. <laughs> They've been trained in a different language. They see the world very differently. So what I've made a priority from the beginning of our of our founding as a company, you know, I'm a physicist, so my lens on the world is through physics, but I collaborate, have always collaborated very closely with biologists. So it's a huge priority to make sure we understand one another. We take a step back to make sure we're explaining our viewpoints, our our strategies, our ideas as clearly and articulately as we can. So there's a lot of interesting things that we do at the company. For example, we set up cross-disciplinary meetings with people across different teams who may or may not work directly together, but it's just to foster that dialogue and interconnectedness. And we're starting a new series where we're also putting together folks from different teams to go out on, on lunch dates or coffee dates, whatever they feel comfortable with, they can also do this virtually to think how we can innovate as a company and having people from different walks of life really excel has accelerated our innovation. Absolutely. But it is so important that we communicate clearly and we, we have, we are actively always learning how to have those conversations. So one thing I did this year, which this past year, which is perhaps unusual for a startup of our stage, is hire a professional leadership and communication specialist to work with the team on a daily basis. So individual coaching, group coaching, to make sure we can speak each other's languages because it's so important to be able to do that because everything we do on the communication side and do well translates directly to how successful we are in terms of building our platform. So that was a very interesting and unique choice. And I'm so, so happy about that choice. That's paid off incredibly. Fantastic. Uh, Nabia, I think one more topic that is very interesting for our listeners is the development of the cell-based therapeutics and stem cells specifically as uh, the new modality uh, in the world of pharma industry. So you alluded already to some of the technical challenges that are still ahead of us uh, to bring that large-scale manufacturing of stem cells uh, to, to clinics. In the broader scheme of things, what are the other roadblocks that you see that are still preventing us from deploying that massive potential of cell-based therapeutics uh, in the clinics? Oh, that's a fantastic question. So yeah, maybe we can just double click on that very important topic area that you brought up around the manufacturability and scalability. I would say that is absolutely a huge roadblock to realizing a lot of the therapies that are being developed and then also taking them further along clinical trials. You know, when you look at the autologous IPC cell therapy space, I'm super excited for, you know, the first trial that's running right now in the U.S. led by Dr. Kapil Bharti. And then there's several trials that are going to launch in the next six to 24 months. So stay tuned. Very, very exciting. But what's what's incredible, and I admire these brilliant researchers and clinicians so much, is their dedication to making autologous cell therapies happen because they are the safest option for patients, no matter how you look at it. And just in terms of broad accessibility, it's 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 the best way to go. But for these early clinical trials where it's 10, 15, 20 patients, the only way to make cells has been by hand. Um, that's very expensive if, if these cell therapy leaders have to pay about a million dollars 
a, for a dose of personalized stem cells, and it adds up very quickly. And in general, there are just not enough scientists in the world to make hundreds of patient-specific cell lines in, in within the same facility or make them reproducibly. So that's a huge bottleneck for us because as these clinical trials progress, and I'm very optimistic we're going to see amazing results, we'll hit phase three. And at phase three, we may need to produce hundreds of patient-specific doses for the trial, and there is no solution or there's no way to do that today. So we are, there is a clock ticking, so we need to move quickly, and that's a lot of what Selena was thinking about, and we're very motivated and to make sure we're moving as quickly as we can to make sure that there is a manufacturing solution at stage three and beyond where you need to make hundreds or thousands of patient-specific um, cells in the same facility. So that's, that I think is a big one. And then the other piece that is, I think, being already addressed, and I'm so excited that it is, is building a really strong sense of community within the autologous cell therapy developers, both in academia and in industry and pharma. Um, and again, I'll mention Kapil Bharti again, who's launched a consortium to bring together all of the autologous iPSC cell therapy developers in the world. And that is such an amazing initiative because what's going to be incredibly critical to our success as an industry is our ability to work with each other <laughs> because everybody is bringing different skill sets to the table, whether it's clinical or biological, manufacturing, regulatory, and all of these pieces have to fit together in this very complex puzzle to realize our collective goal and vision of making it possible to make custom cell therapies for every human being on the planet and making those on-demand cell therapies available. So it ties back to the earlier theme that we touched on, which is what I see within my own team is a keen emphasis and passion to make sure we're communicating effectively, we're working effectively together as a team. I think we need a global team effort to bring about the, the change that we want to see in terms of bringing autologous cell therapies forward for patients ultimately, right? That's why we're all here. And that's an interesting part of my story is, you know, there are many different directions the technology could have gone, Selena could have worked on different applications, but there is this personal commitment to working on therapies because when you look at how current therapeutic modalities what they look like for diseases like Parkinson's, like diabetes, like age-related macular degeneration, or heart disease, et cetera, I know we can do better. We can do better, and it is our collective dream as an industry to have all of these therapies accessible to patients in a cost-effective way. So to summarize everything I was saying just now, it's really going to be about building that community and making sure we work very cohesively together and support each other to make sure we make progress for patients. Yeah, sounds fantastic. And uh, I, I guess the, there is no way uh, around it without that very intense collaboration and multidisciplinary science, because it is a complex problem with many, many uh, different uh, small technical or big technical roadblocks on the way. But it's great to see that, that they're being tackled as we speak pretty much. We are doing this show for you and your feedback is very important for us. 
So if you have any suggestions or comments, would like us to cover a specific topic or recommend a guest, please write us an email to team at pmedcast.com. Or you can reach out to us on LinkedIn, Twitter or Facebook. Just type in Personalized Medicine Podcast and you will find us there. To download the show notes for this episode, visit our website pmedcast.com. It's p-m-e-d-c-a-s-t dot com. The show notes include guest bios, links to their most notable work and recommendations for additional reads on the topic of the episode. Make sure to check them out. And don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Give us a rating and leave a comment. It will help us make this show better. And now, let's get back to the interview. Nabiya, I think one more topic that is very interesting to to our audience is not just use of stem cells in the therapeutics, which is obviously the the grand goal of uh, of Selena, uh, but also the ability to use those stem cells as the models for um, preclinical testing. Is it something that Selena is also looking at to leverage your platform for um, for the cell-based testing? And uh, where do you see this space going in the next five to 10 years? Oh, I'm so excited about this space. Absolutely. Thank you for that question. When I think about how our industry is evolving, when you look at the therapeutics industry, what's what's exciting about this moment in time is we're really starting to appreciate that humans sometimes are going to be different. They're going to need different solutions. And being able to make therapies and medicines, biologics, small molecules, et cetera, that are very personalized and that are focused on specific genomic features unique to to an individual does make sense. It's hard, but it does make sense. And if it were scalable, that would be phenomenal. And it's an exciting direction for for the organ on chip, drugs discovery, drug screen, disease modeling space to go in. Because what I'm imagining 20 years into the future that is that it would be it should be possible to create a 2D mini human on chip with some liver cells, some eye cells, some retina cells, some skin cells, and then test the drugs in question to see how they work in a dish and if it's not working exactly for this patient specific cell set in this specific patient then we can tweak the combination of the medicines i think that there are so many exciting possibilities and what's what needs to happen for that to that world to be unlocked is to be able to first make personalized autologous stem cells in a scalable way which i think we're we're getting there i think Making research-grade stem cells is uh, reasonably cost-effective today. The clinical grade is a whole other story, and that's the problem we're focusing on, but research-grade cells, definitely. And then how do we differentiate those stem cells to get the high-quality cells we would want to test test in a dish, um, to test in our human on a dish? That's a direction I'm personally very fascinated by, and... From a company standpoint, you know, our priority right now is really in the therapeutic space because we do believe that if clinical grade stem cell and therapy, stem cell derived therapy manufacturing can be unlocked and scaled in the way our system 
can, it would be hugely beneficial for patients, but the same technology can be expanded and used in different ways. So I'm interested in it. I'm excited about the possibilities and I'm excited to see that there are many companies starting to go down this pathway. And once we establish scalable, robust, affordable manufacturing, this is just how medicines are going to be tested going forward. And that's that, which essentially means that if anybody needs a custom medicine, they can have access to them, which would be an amazing, amazing future for us. Yeah, I totally agree. And speaking of the future, looking at the next 10 years, what three major developments do you see happening or you would like to see happening uh, in the field of personalized cell therapeutics? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good question. Okay, so first and foremost, I would love for us as an industry to make progress towards scalable manufacturing of personalized cells, and that is Selino's number one priority. That's what we're here to do, and we're going to do whatever we need to do to make that world happen. And there really is an opportunity to engineer a solution to this manufacturing bottleneck. So very excited to see that. The second would be to see the industry shifting and taking turns and twists more in the entire discussions of allogeneic versus autologous. Um, And I think that'll be very interesting as platforms like Selino start to engineer cells at scale. I'm very curious to see what happens to the greater landscape because right now most most pharma players are playing in the allogeneic space. So, um, And some of them have told us that if autologous cell therapies were scalable the way Selino is um, thinking about it, they would consider shifting away from those off-the-shelf therapies and move towards more custom therapies, which ultimately is better for patients. So very curious to see how that goes. And then the last piece that I think about, it ties back to my journey as a very global citizen, is making sure that personalized cell therapies are able to reach patients at a global scale. So we just don't focus on Europe, North America, Japan, which I think are obviously great, great ecosystems to build these technologies and manufacture them, but thinking beyond that, because uh, we're, we're growing as a population on this planet. There are many, many patients all over the world who could benefit from personalized cell therapy. So I would love for us as um, an industry, as society, as just human beings, keep an eye out for other humans, the, the planet over. Perfect. Couldn't agree more on that. Yeah, it's it's really important that we not just develop those unique new therapies, but we also make sure that, that they get distributed to all corners of the world and the entire world population can benefit from them. Fantastic. Nabia, you've been such an inspirational figure for many young scientists, um, and particularly for those who, who want to start uh, their own venture. So which one advice would you give to aspiring research-oriented uh, entrepreneurs who would like to start uh, the company out of their PhD or postdoc research? Thank you. Yes, that question is always a good one. There are so many different things to think about when starting a company. But I would say 
which is true in my story, make sure you have a great, strong, complementary founding team. That's going to be so critical to get through all the ups and downs and thrills, uh, you know, shocking moments you're going to have as a team as you build. And I just feel really lucky that I have this amazing chemistry with my co-founders where we've, we've been through so much together. And that's what it's about. It's about relationships. It's about having that amazing human connection and human capital on your team. And then the second piece of advice, again, based on my own experiences, uh, don't be too attached to your PhD research. <laughs> if you do decide to start a company, because um, it might not be the right application. It might, because, you know, the PhD is a completely different mindset than being an entrepreneur and the PhD. It's all about pursuing your intellectual curiosity, writing scientific research publications in a novel discipline. Entrepreneurship is about commercializing a technology, solving problems, having people want to pay you for those solutions. So just being very intentional. And if you find yourself struggling to make that shift in your mindset, then um, you should think about whether you want to go down the entrepreneurial path because it'll be it'll be very challenging. And the last piece of advice I would say is be as self-aware and self-reflective as you can be because for me, this journey has been a lot of learning, huge learnings from so many experts across biotech, pharma, venture capital, the stem cell industry. It's always about, okay, what do I know? What am I good at? And what do I need to learn better and get better at? And I need to talk to an expert about this topic area so I, I can understand this as well as I need to. So don't be afraid to ask for help. Be grounded. Be, be as self-aware as you can so you can constantly work on, work on the things that you need to work on to keep growing your company. Perfect. And circling back to the beginning of our discussion, you mentioned that it is very important to find that um, product market fit early on in your uh, company existence. Maybe you have a few specific uh, tactical advice that you can give uh, to, to our listeners, how they should go about understanding whether their idea actually makes a good commercial product. Oh, that's a fantastic question. Okay, I can talk about how I did it. And I won't say that this is the only way to do it. But what I wanted to do is when I, when we decided as the founders that we're doing this company, I immediately said, I need to talk to 100 people that could be potential customers within the next three months to start eliminating options. And that was an amazing experience because we immediately eliminated several business models, even though we were still exploring product market fit, but we eliminated the business model of selling a tool. That's not something we wanted to go down. And that was very clear in the first 20 interviews that that is not the path we want to go down, mainly because the platform needed more optimization to get to a turnkey state. There were so many different things the scientists wanted to do with it. It wasn't clear what they would do exactly if we sent if we gave them a turnkey instrument. So that was very interesting. And since then, I've just taken that approach multiple times over. So as a company, you know, we've spoken to hundreds of people. Absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't know if we're hitting the thousands mark at this point, but it's really about this active collaboration and then taking notes and making sure you're 
paying attention to the things that they're actually saying. So remember, I told you the story about my mentor, Bastiano. And when he said that, oh, yes, can you remove cells with the laser? I said, yeah, we could, but are you sure that's important? I went back and looked at my notes and realized that many other experts across pharma and biotech had told me very similar things. And I just had to look through my notes to find them. So paying close attention is is really important. So, you know, I think the bottom line is that you can never talk to enough people and you want to talk to lots of different kinds of people. And sometimes those conversations are going to be uncomfortable. They might say, this is not useful at all to the world. <laughs> There's no point in you doing this doing this approach or this technology is not useful. And that's okay because you need to hear those no's as well. And you have to be very honest about, okay, where am I hearing the yeses? Where am I hearing the no's? And you look at the cluster of yeses and that's the direction you have to narrow down in and keep iterating to, that's how you find your product market fit. So with our journey, we found our way to IPSCs through this very expansive customer discovery, talking to hundreds of people in a few months. And then we were trying to decide, what do we do with the IPSCs? You can deliver cargos into them, you can differentiate them. And finally, we found our way to some experts who just uh, last year, actually early last year, made a very compelling case for why our technology is super well-suited to generating IPSCs as uh, a core offering. And that came through these iterative discussions. And then, yep, that's what we do. That's the main priority. Because if we unlock the manufacturing of personal IPSCs, it's a nice strategic on-ramp to doing differentiation, gene editing, and many other things, which are going to be part of several products that are in our pipeline. So that's the journey. It's all about asking broad questions and then narrowing down your focus. And I'm really grateful that we were able to spend several years, actually, about two or three years doing very heads down market research, product market fit iterations, thanks to our investors. They were extremely supportive. And that's why it's also very important to have the right investors who understand that. And when we did find our product market fit last year, just been a phenomenal, phenomenal experience building out the team and building out our relationships in the industry and going in this direction and this journey with a lot of amazing experts to make autologous cells a reality for the global population. Perfect. I hope that uh, all of our listeners were paying very close attention to what you just said, because I think this advice is pure gold. Uh, you really need to to work with, with your potential customers as tightly as possible. And, and as you just said, there is no way you can talk to too many of them. So, Navia, before I let you go, one last question. Where can our audience find you online in case they would like to reach out? Yes, absolutely. So I'm on LinkedIn, Navia Saklion. Please add me there. Or I'm also on Twitter at Napsicle. And you can also follow Selino at Selino Bio. And would love to hear from you if you're working on any autologous IPSC cell-based therapies. We love to collaborate. Or if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, please do reach out. Always looking to help entrepreneurs when I can. And especially please reach out if you're underrepresented in entrepreneurship. <laughs> Fantastic. Nabia, thank you so much for, for our conversation. Uh, it's been amazing to have you on the show. Um, really grateful for your insights. I'm sure uh, this will be the story that our audience would love to hear. 
and looking forward to talking to you again soon. And we'll be following the Selenos progress with great interest. Alexander, thank you so much for having me. I've listened to many of your podcasts. I love the one with Jean Loring. Uh, she's absolutely a star and you're doing amazing work. You're building this community and giving folks like myself a, a platform to share our technology, our vision, and why making medicine personalized is so important. So thank you for doing this. Really excited to be here, and I'm sure we'll see each other soon. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today on the Personalized Medicine Podcast. If you like this show and know someone who would enjoy it too, please share this podcast with them. And don't miss the next episode yourself. Subscribe to the Personalized Medicine Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many, many more. Please rate us there and leave a comment. That helps us to grow and deliver the best experience to you. To access the show notes for this episode, visit our website, pmedcast.com. It's P-M-E-D-C-A-S-T dot And engage with us on social media where we regularly share the news and exciting content on personalized medicine. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook just by typing in Personalized Medicine Podcast. Or use our handle, PMATCAST. And if you have any feedback or would like to suggest a guest for the show, write us an email to team at pmatcast.com. Have a great day and until next time.